Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Bless us in amazing ways. And it was just this overwhelming excitement about every one of you. Because in and through this community, God can literally transform and change this world. And we've seen a testimony of that in Neely Joy. He's a God of redemption, and we carry that message. And so as we go into the sermon series of defining us, we want to give you as many opportunities to better understand what does it mean to be a member, what does it mean to be a part of this community here at Rosemont. And so for 15 weeks, we're going to talk about connect, grow, and serve. And Adam is going to preach. And then in all of our small groups, we're going to have a follow-up lesson that, that complements the message so we can dive even deeper. And if you're not in a small group, I want to help you get plugged in today. Because I believe when we we read the New Testament, when we read the, the book of Acts and what God was doing, that we weren't meant to primarily grow by looking at one another's backs or the back of one another's heads. It's not like this. It's us looking face to face in one another's eyes and saying, Christ has redeemed us. We are his people. Let's go live for him. Let's give our lives for him. Let's die for him. And we need that intimate relationship. So if you're not in a small group, I'm going to be in the fellowship hall. You just go out this door, past the children's ministry. I'm going to have coffee and chocolate to bribe you to come and talk to me. Had six families this week come up and say, we want to get plugged in. So today's your day to do that. We've got some great places for you to grow in your faith. But we're not just going to stop there in that community. We want you to continue in your time alone with the Lord to grow. And so we've created this devotion, which you've heard us talk about. This is the first of of three books. This is a five-week devotional on Connect and what it means to connect to Jesus and his church. And if you don't have one of these, you can pick it up in your small group today. Or you can pick up a physical book at the Connect desk. But we're trying to encourage everyone online, if you go to our website, rosemontchurch.org, Under resources, there's a digital version of this that you can open up every day. And in fact, in that digital version, there's enhanced content. There's videos plugged in. There's links to different resources. We're able to make the the articles. uh, We don't have to edit them as much in order to fit them in a book. We can give you the full full article or the full study. And so it's just an opportunity for you to three days this week follow up and say, what does salvation in Jesus mean? And how is my life transformed by that? And then there's a family devotion for you to do with your family, to sit around and to talk about this this idea of connecting to Jesus. And if you use the online version, there's going to be um, five family devotions that you can use throughout the week. And we had over 400 hits on that devotion this week. So thank you for checking that out and just continue to use it. The resource is there. We want to help you get plugged in, but please come and see me down in the fellowship hall, coffee and good chocolate, I promise, okay? Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Let me pray for us, and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we just thank you again for the opportunity to gather, Lord, to to praise your name, to celebrate a new life, Lord, and, and salvation, and then baptism. Father, for the opportunity now to open your word, Lord, you give us this this beautiful time every week, Lord, just to gather together, to fellowship, Lord, to, to study, to pray, to sing, to worship. I pray you would be honored 
Lord, I pray you would speak to us very clearly through your word. I pray we'd be challenged in our faith, Father. We would, we would understand you more, Father. And I pray, Lord, as we do every Sunday through the power of the Spirit, that we would be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible with you, you can look. If you don't, there's one sitting in front of you in the seat. Take that out. Open it to page 976. But we are starting a brand new series today entitled Defining Us. Connect, Grow, Serve. Our leadership team has been thinking about this and and praying about this really for probably two years. Trying to hear from the Lord and, and examining his scripture and trying to come up with kind of a clear vision and a clear path a clear direction for our church. And so I want to share with you this morning, we've been talking about it a little bit over the last several weeks, and it's actually up on the wall in our main lobby out here. You can see it when you leave this morning. But I want to share with you our vision for what we think the Lord's doing here at Rosemont. If you'll pull that up, we want you to, we believe every person that walks through the doors of this church should connect to Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve Jesus here and around the world. It's a simple process. It's, it's not groundbreaking. It's not earth shattering. It's just the simple things that scripture teaches us, the simple things we learn in scripture about who Christ is and, and what we ought to be doing. And so we decided to kind of launch this series. We, we would do a kind of a five-week study of each. So I'm going to spend five weeks talking about connecting to Jesus and his church. I'm going to spend five weeks talking about growing in faith and understanding of God's word. I'm going to spend five weeks thinking about serving Jesus here and around the world. But as Jeremy said to you, I want you to understand this is so much more than just a sermon series. If all you do is come in here and hear the sermon, you're missing a large portion of what we've designed this to be. This is a big part of it, but there's so much more. We've got the devotions that Jeremy showed you. You can do those at home, at night with your families. You can do it on your phone. It's very simple. Uh, You can do it on a lunch break. You can do it at night. You can do it in the morning. All of our small groups will be studying the same thing every week. This is the first time, I think, ever that every level of small groups in our church is studying the same idea. So you can go home at night and talk with your kids about what they study. It's going to be the same as what you studied. You go to lunch with a friend in another Sunday school class. They're going to study the same thing you're studying. All of it is going to be taught in the sermon on Sunday morning. It's just an opportunity for us to align ourselves to get on the same page, to see this vision and how it's lived out in our church. And so I want to challenge you over these next 15 weeks. I want to encourage you and challenge you to take one more step, whatever that looks like for you, one more step closer to Christ. Maybe that's helping someone in need. Maybe that's sharing your faith. Maybe that's memorizing some scripture. Maybe that's praying a little bit more. That's between you and the Lord. But I, but I really want to challenge you and encourage you and promise you that if you do that, you're not going to be disappointed. But just figure out kind of what, what's that next step for me? How would the Lord want to use me? What are the things I can do this next week and these next several weeks to kind of step one more step closer to him, following him, serving him, loving him? And so we're going to begin this morning with this idea of connection. And we think about connection and what it means. And so I want to give you just kind of the the foundation of everything we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. We're going to talk about it this morning. And it begins with the first three verses of that first line. We want you and every person that walks through the doors of this church and everybody in our community, God willing, to connect to Jesus. If, If you're not connecting to Jesus... Nothing else up here matters. Do you understand that? 
If you're not connecting to Jesus, nothing about what we're doing matters. It's a waste of time. If you're not connecting to Jesus, he's not going to bless this church and use us to do incredible things in the community like he wants us to do. So I want to challenge you. I want you to think about this and examine your heart. And as we work through this passage of Scripture together, ask yourself the very simple question. Have I connected first to Jesus? Now let me say this. I understand in a church this size, there are a lot of people that have prayed to receive Christ. You did that early in your life. You've lived it. You're still living it. You love the Lord. Praise God for that. We want you to continue to do that. We want you to continue to grow and continue to serve. But if you've connected to Jesus already spiritually, then I really want to encourage you to ask yourself the question, how can I now help somebody else connect to Jesus? Because you understand there are thousands of people within a few miles, every direction of this church, that have not connected to Jesus. They don't understand who he is. They don't understand the life he gives. They don't understand the hope and the joy and the peace found only in Christ. We do, if you've already connected, if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, ask yourself the question over this sermon and the next several weeks, what can I now do to help somebody else connect to Jesus? And so in order to study this idea of connection and this idea of salvation in Jesus, I wanted to do it in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, you're already in Ephesians, we're going to look at 10 verses. And I chose Ephesians because Paul gives us this beautiful picture. And so I want to kind of give you uh, the, the main idea, uh, kind of maybe the if you've written a paper, the thesis statement of what I'm going to talk about for the next little while. This is kind of what we're getting at. This is what I want you to understand. Paul's going to draw this incredible comparison here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the picture of death and sin and despair and the enemy and how he destroys. That's the first three verses. Then beginning in verse 4, it's a beautiful picture of the grace and the love and the hope of Christ. And so here's what I want you to see this morning. Far too often, I'm fearful. Far too often, believers see their moment of salvation as this one thing they did a long time ago, They checked that box, they got their ticket to heaven, they stuck it in their back pocket, they never really think a whole lot about it since that moment. I would say to you, you're missing so much. You're missing so much. Because our salvation is a glorious, beautiful, incredible thing where God has taken us from from the depths of despair and sin and trespasses, as Paul says, and he's pulled us out into this glorious light, into this life in Christ. The picture of what Neely did, just incredible. It's incredible what God did in her life and so many others like her as he rescues us, as he saves us. I want, for just the next few minutes, for for the gravity of that, the significance of that, the beauty of that, the holiness of that, the importance of that, just to kind of rest on your hearts a little bit. I don't want you to see your salvation as something you did years ago. I want you to see it as a life-changing event that's still changing the way you think and the way you live and the way you act and the way you work and the way that you treat other people. It's life-changing. It's transformational. I want you to see that in the Scripture this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, let's begin in verse 1. We're going to look at the first three. There's going to be a very strong comparison between verses 1 through 3, 4, and following. So Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. Paul has spent the first chapter of Ephesians, by the way, talking about the glory of God and the beauty of Christ and the power of the resurrection and have kind of lifted up the beauty of who uh, Jesus is and his salvation. And then he's going to change the subject, the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, and you. See that? 
glory of Christ, beauty of his holiness, the power in raising Christ from the dead in chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2. But you were dead. It's an important word. You ought to underline it. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I want to stop there for a second, and I want you to understand, as we think about connecting with Jesus and salvation in Christ, if you're a believer, I want you to see very clearly these first three verses, truth number one. We have been rescued from death to life. We have been rescued from death to life. Now Paul does something interesting all throughout the book of Ephesians. He tells of this cosmic warfare, these battles that are being waged for our souls. Right, Paul paints this vivid picture. I would encourage you, if you've never read through Ephesians, you should do it. But Paul paints this, this vivid picture of the warfare that's going on in the heavenly realms that most of us are unaware of. Paul says, listen, there's a spiritual battle at play here. There are principalities of evil. There's the devil. There are his demons. They are at war for your soul. You need to understand that. Like The, the enemy is not passive. He's not lazy. He's not just kind of sitting around waiting for something to happen. He's prowling around. He's active. He's searching. He wants to destroy this world. He would love to destroy Christ. He thought he destroyed Christ on the cross, by the way, when he died. He didn't foresee the resurrection, praise the Lord. He wants to destroy you and your family and this church. And so Paul paints this picture in Ephesians of this cosmic battle of evil. And unlike some sci-fi thriller, this is real. You understand that? This is really happening. One writer explained Ephesians like this. It's an account of the victory of God in Christ over the powers that have hijacked God's world. Holding it captive and enslaving humanity, Ephesians gives us the compelling and life-giving drama of God's redemption in Christ. Now, if you've got your Bibles flipped, just very quickly to the end of Ephesians, I want you to see something here because Paul's going to kind of summarize this. It's going to help us understand it a little bit. Ephesians chapter 6, we have it on the screen as well, verse 11. Paul says, put on the full armor of God so you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, pause for a second, right? The enemy's at work. He's trying to destroy. Verse 12 is going to be important for us because I want you to think about something just for a second. I want you to think about that person that maybe gets on your nerves a little bit, that person you work with that's not really kind to you. Don't look at the person beside you. Too many of y'all are looking at somebody. Don't look at anybody else. No, 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 no. Right here, right here, right here, right here. Somebody else that can't be sitting beside you, right? Somebody gets on your nerves. There's always that person at work, on the ball, whatever. We think that that person is, fill in the blank, whatever words you want to use, right? There's problems there. But watch, I want you to see this. This is important. This, this puts things in perspective for us. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's not really about that person, but... Against the rulers, here it is, this is the heavenly idea. Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
Right? Paul is, 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 is illustrating for us this idea that, that our salvation is not some small decision that we simply make one day in our life. Our salvation is a life-altering decision that should affect everything about us. It's a cosmic battle. You understand that? There's a battle for your soul. There's a battle for the soul of your children. There's a battle for the heart and the soul of this church there's a battle for LaGrange and Troop County and for our country and for our world. And so when we think about salvation, I want you to get the big picture. It's not just some simple little isolated event. It's this cosmic struggle that Paul speaks about. And the beauty and the glory is that Christ reached down into that death, into that sin, and into the yuckiness of the world. And he rescued from that into life. Right, that, that should drive us. And if somebody had, had physically saved your life, I just wonder how you would feel about that person. I wonder how you would respond every time you saw that person again for the rest of your life. I wonder how that would change you. See, Paul paints this, this, this vivid picture, right? I, I love what he does in verse 1. Pull verse 1 up again because I want you to see it here. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we were, what's the word right there? dead in the trespasses and sins. Lots of theologians over the years have said this, and you've probably heard it before, but, but salvation doesn't make bad people good. It makes dead people alive. You understand the difference? Like, could you imagine if you went to a funeral and the person that was dead came back to life? Could you imagine? I mean, I know it's hard for us to, but I kind of thought through this a little bit this week. Like, what would that look like? I mean, how would that be portrayed in the media and the world, and how would it change our lives, and how would it, just imagine how that would affect us. Paul says, listen, you were once dead in your sins, and Jesus in all of his glory, and all his beauty, and all of his holiness brought us back to life. Now I want you to see something here, because again, we're making the case in the, in the first part here, how we've come from this darkness, and from this death, and again, it ought to build in your heart this idea of faith, and this desire to worship Christ even more, knowing what you've come from and what he saved you into. But verses 2 and 3 of Ephesians 2 talk about how we once followed the course of the world. And we followed the prince of power of the air and we lived in the passions of our flesh, right? Just kind of the, the yuckiness of sin and this world. And it doesn't take us very long if we open the newspaper Kids and newspapers, a piece of paper with printed stuff on it that you open and read about what's going on in the world, right? It's old school. If you click on a web page or get a Twitter feed, it doesn't take you long to realize that there's still bad things out there, right? I mean, I'm not going to go into any detail, but this whole Je Jeffrey Epstein thing and all he's done allegedly and the people that are around him is absolute evil. That only happens because the enemy is at work. You understand that, right? And so, so Paul's just building this case that, listen, we need a vision of hope. You understand that? The world needs a vision of transformation. The world needs a, just, a, just a glimpse of the hope that maybe we have or the joy that Christ gives us. You know, you know as believers, we should be the most joyful people in the world. Did you know that? <laughs> we should be the most loving, the most peaceful we, we should have hope, right? We should just have a, an abundance of hope because of who Christ is. Paul says, listen, you need to understand, this is, this is who we are. This is what the Lord has done in our life. We, we need to take this vision 
and this love of Christ and the beauty of all he did. And we need to show it to the world. We, we need to understand that we are a radically transformed community, right? Paul says we, we need to be reminded that we've come from here. We've come from the depths. We've come from the worst place in the world into this idea of beauty and glory and holiness, right? So, so one through three is just the wretchedness. And, and, you know, we could all think and probably talk way too much about the ugliness of the world. That's one through three. Now look at verse four. Things are about to change. This is the beautiful picture. Ephesians chapter two, verse four, like the first two words, right? The yuckiness, the ugliness of sin and trespasses, verse four, but God. Isn't that beautiful? Man. There's just beauty in that phrase. But God, watch this. Now we're going to get this long string of his glory. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead. You see that? Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we we are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? If we're thinking about connecting to Jesus, right? Connecting to Jesus in salvation. The second thing I want you to see this morning, very simply, is that our hope and salvation in Christ changes everything. Our hope and salvation in Christ changes everything. John Stott, who I mentioned a, a few weeks ago in his book, The Cross of Christ, and I've read several of the things he's written, he said this, speaking of Paul in Ephesians, he said, Paul first plums the depths of pessimism about man and then rises to the heights of optimism about God. It is this combination of pessimism and optimism, of despair and faith, which constitutes the refreshing realism of the Bible. For what Paul does in this passage is to paint a vivid contrast between what man is by nature and what he can become by grace. And so then Paul gives us this kind of long list of things that we've become. And I just want to walk through them just for a few minutes because I want you to be aware, not necessarily of where we've come from, but where we're going. Right, I've always said to people, praise the Lord, it's not who we were, it's who we've become. Right? We, Amy and I kind of, we, we uh, walked into the room that a lot of other parents before us have walked into yesterday. We dropped our first child off at college. That was a, an experience for us. And yes, I cried. Just go ahead and just get it past. I cried. Yes, I did. <laughs> I'm owning it. I will probably again as I think about it. But I see her and so many other, I mean, so many of y'all have done that. This has been it's, I guess because my child is there, it seems like so many kids have gone off, and, and we're excited for them, man. They're doing great things. We love them. We know they're going to come back some, and we're going to love them. They're going to go back. But I just think about her, and I thought about myself a lot yesterday, like where I was when I was a freshman in college. Guys, and the things I was thinking about and how my mind was working and some of the decisions I made. And I was just reminded and thankful, even though I once was there, it's not where I was. It's where God has now brought me through his grace. You see what I'm saying? 
I mean, we ought to all just fall on our knees on a regular basis and say, thank you, Lord, for taking me out of that and bringing me into this. And so Paul gives us kind of this long list of things. One of the first ones we see, and I've got them up here, I want you to see him, is that he's made us alive. He's made us alive. Verse 1 says we were dead. Verse 5 says he's made us alive together with Christ. John chapter 1, verse 4, speaking of Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. You know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of death in our world, unfortunately. You know, some people have even characterized our society as the culture of death. Abortion and, and euthanasia and, and murder and assisted suicide and on and on the list. It's almost like we've got this, this, this infatuation with death. And I believe, and this is a whole other story I'm happy to talk to you about, I think that's the influence of evil in our society. That's exactly what I think. The principalities of evil that Paul is speaking about that have tried to take control. And so we see this kind of culture of death, and yet we see in Scripture that because of the mercies of Christ and the beauties of Christ, we have been made alive now with Jesus. You understand that? Like, you don't have to walk in that sin anymore. The struggles that you've been struggling, you don't have to struggle with those things because of Christ. You don't have to worry about all the things that you used to have to worry about because of Christ. He gives us life, and he gives us hope, and he gives us peace. The second thing we see is that we are unified with Jesus and with one another. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Jeremy did a good job a few minutes ago of talking about this idea of community. And I think sometimes we miss that, right? There, there's, a, there's a movement in the world, and I'm going to talk about this in, in kind of the upcoming sermons a little bit more. But there's a, a movement in the world. Some people say, listen, I can be a Christian and not have to be part of a local body of believers. Well, I would say technically you can be a believer, yes, accepting Christ, salvation, we'll see in just a second, and not be part of a local church. But that's not how God designed it. Like He designed us to be in community and to be family. You know why I did that? Because sometimes we rub the rough edges off of each other when we rub shoulders. Did you know that? Like when I'm with you and you do something I don't like, it forces me to figure out who I want to be in Christ, how I want to treat you, how I want to respond, how I want to think. Forces me to think about what I want to say to you, right? When you're in a group of people and you're challenging one another, maybe somebody says something you don't agree with, it forces you to think a little bit. Like we're created to be in community Unity together, unity with Christ, walking kind of hand in hand, understanding who he is, growing in our faith, loving one another, lifting each other up, helping one another. All that is because of who Christ is and what Christ did for us. He's unified us. He's given us life. The third thing is that he seated us with him. Verse 6 says we were raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I did something in the 830 service. I'm not going to do it now because there's a lot more people. But I asked them to call out the most famous person they'd ever met. I think Alan Jackson may have been the most famous person they'd met. That's okay. Alan Jackson's good. I, the most famous person I've ever met was Clarence Thomas. If you, you don't know anything about politics, he's a Supreme Court justice had a chance to sit and talk with him. Fantastic. Just a great discussion. He was very generous with the, the students we took up there with him. But I just thought, you know, when you meet somebody famous and maybe you get to sit beside that person, you let everybody know, don't you? 
Like, if you met somebody famous, I promise you that next second it would be on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter and any other social media outlet that you can muster up, you'd put it out there so everybody would know, right? We like to meet famous people, and it's exciting. We tell people. Jesus says, listen, you have, because of the glory of God, because of the salvation of Christ, he's made us alive, he's unified us, and we've been seated now with him in the heavenly places. Like the King of kings and the Lord of lords loves you enough to allow you to be seated with him in glory. It's a beautiful picture. And then fourthly, as we kind of begin to wind this thing down, we are saved. We've received salvation through Christ. This is, this is the crux of everything we could talk about. This is the foundation of everything I want you to see this morning. Ephesians 2, 5. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, two of the most famous verses in the Bible, for grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Right? The reformers back in the, the 1500s, 1600s, were rebelling against some teaching they didn't believe was correct. And they came out with the phrase, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. You don't, you don't need anything else. You, you don't need works. I mean, Paul specifically says, listen, this is grace and faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I want you to hear me just crystal clear right here. There is absolutely nothing you can do to work yourself into heaven. Not enough good deeds, not enough nice things. Salvation only comes through Christ. You understand that? Faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture teaches. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And we want every, bring that, bring that vision statement back up if you would for me, please. Bring that vision. We, we want every person, like foundation, this is where we're starting. This is why we're going to start on this particular sermon. We want every person to connect to Jesus with salvation, period. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. So, so if you're in here this morning and it never prayed to receive Jesus Christ, I want you to understand this can be the day for you. Christ offers you that hope and he offers you that peace and that love and that forgiveness. And in just a few moments, I'm going to stand right down here and I would love to share with you what that looks like and how that can impact and invade your heart and your life. I need to finish. One more verse. Look at, look at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Beautiful, challenging, encouraging verse. Right. So the depths of sin, verses 1 through 3. The wretchedness of the world, verse 4. For God, because of his love and his beauty, he seated us with him. He's made us alive. He's unified us. He's, he's given us salvation, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, right? And the original language has the idea of a beautifully crafted masterpiece here. Not just some, uh, a little dabble that he wadded up through away. You're his workmanship. You're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's the third truth I want you to see this morning. Number three, we have been created for purpose. You were dead because of the grace of Christ, you've been made alive in salvation. And God has now shown you, because of this gift, there is a purpose in your life. Look at that verse again. I want you to see it, because this is interesting what it does. Pull that verse, verse 10 up one more time. For we his workmanship, right, we're his masterpiece, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, right? He's got a purpose for it. He created this beautiful masterpiece, you, for a very specific reason, for a very specific purpose, which, watch this. Now, this is going to blow your mind. Which God prepared when? Beforehand that we should walk in them. You understand before the foundations of the world was created, God had a plan for your life. Did you know that? Before the foundations of the earth, God had a plan for you through Christ. Created as his masterpiece to do good works. Now what those works are is between you and the Lord. I don't know. But I promise you this, God's got something in store for you. He's rescued you from death. He's rescued you from the darkness into life, into light for purpose. Right? For reasons to do good works that he created for you before the foundations of the earth. What is that good work? You ought to be asking yourself that question. Lord, what have you called me to do? Who who have you called me to be? How have you called me to love more or to share my faith more or or connect people with Jesus more? I was reading this week about the Sistine Chapel in Vatican City inside of Rome. I've never seen the Sistine Chapel. Amy has seen the Sistine Chapel. And somebody came up to me after the service and said she'd seen as well. It's a beautiful painting Michelangelo laid on his back for several years in the early 1500s and painted. It's the story of creation and the Bible and the, the hand of God and the finger of Adam. And many of us had seen the beautiful pictures of it. But as you probably know, in the 15, 16, 17, 1800s, there was no electricity. It was inside, and so they had to light these torches and these candles in order to be able to see it and get them closer to the ceiling. And after decades and decades and a few centuries of candles burning and smoke and wax, there was a film that covered the Sistine Chapel. And so in the early 1980s, they kind of put a team together to restore it. And they spent about 15 years wiping away all the grime and the the, the nastiness and the dirt and the filth and and all the the candle wax and the the dark smoke stains. There had been some leaks from the ceiling above. They spent 15 years cleaning it and restoring it to its original, beautiful, glorious state. I think about that in our hearts. Like the Lord has created you in beauty. You are his masterpiece. He's created you with purpose. Sin has mired that. It's covered that. The devil does everything he can to try to destroy that. But underneath all that sin and and nastiness and the baggage of life is this beautiful creation that the Lord wants to use again. And that only happens through salvation in Jesus Christ. So I want you to do something for me. I want you to go and close your Bibles. Close your notebook. I want you to bow your head just for a second. And I just want to kind of talk for a second and challenge you. you just kind of just in a moment of prayer, right where you are. I don't want you shuffling around or moving anything, just kind of in the, in the quietness and the stillness. I just want you to answer this very simple question. Have you connected with Jesus? Period. That's it. Nothing fancy. Do you recognize where you've been, the sin that, that maybe still covers you and you're mired in, whatever that looks like in your life? Have you realized, verse 4, for God and all of his glory and beauty and majesty saved you through Christ? He gives you that opportunity. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you placed your faith and your hope and your life in Christ? And if you have done that, maybe years ago, how is that still impacting you today? How are you allowing the masterpiece that the Lord has created in your heart to do good works for him? How are you impacting the people around you? How are you leading other people to connect with Jesus? I'm going to give you the opportunity right now, just a second. If you want to...
come pray about that or speak to me about that. I'd love to talk to you more about the beauty and the glory of Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you. Just let it resonate in our hearts very seriously right now where we've been, Lord, and what the ugliness of sin looks like and the reminder of the beauty and the glory that we've been saved from that to something else, to be alive and to unified and seated with you through salvation, created as a masterpiece for good works. Father, just let that resonate in our hearts. Help us to see your glory. Help us to see your beauty. Father, speak to our hearts right now. If there's a person that's never done that, they've never prayed to receive you as their Lord and Savior, Father, open their eyes right now to that need, to who you are, and may this be the moment. We'll praise you, Father, for your glory and for your holiness and for your beauty. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Stand. The altar is open. A chance for you to come and respond, pray. As we sing together, you come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the contact us link on our